I went on a trip like this past week. Like, we were recording a couple days after I got back. And I brought a film camera with me. <laughs> of course you did. I brought my, my Canon A1. And I brought Porta 400 and a, a Cinestill 800T. Mm-hmm. And, and while we were going out, I was like, man, what if I shoot all these rolls of film? It's only two rolls. It's like 72 photos. I feel like I need one more roll of film. Which is really where things went downhill. <laughs> and we're going to get into our, our first topic for today. <laughs> so I, I do have two questions, though. Uh, first question, did you need that third roll of film? No, I didn't even get to the second one. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Other question, I remember when we went out, I don't know when it was, maybe a month ago, and, and it was one of your first rolls that you had shot, and mm-hmm. we went and shot some pictures, and... I just remember that it seemed like the process of you using the camera and like metering and lining up your shots and stuff, that seemed really slow with the film as opposed to digital. And I'm curious now that you've shot a little bit more in film, is that still the case or do you feel like you've gotten faster at that stuff? I feel like I'm getting faster at it, but having not seen the photos that I took, who knows, (laughs) honestly. Because like I said, I think I got through maybe 26 photos on one roll and man, I'm like, so like 12 more shots to go yeah, and then like lot. two more rolls because I went to the camera store in Lubbock, Texas, and I bought a roll of uh, Ektar 100 because mm-hmm. I was certain, absolutely confident that we were going to do enough things on our trip that, which was not in, we like we went past Lubbock, but enough things on our trip that I was going to need all three rolls. Didn't need them. Didn't need them. Yeah, really frustrating there. I guess what I'm really curious about is like, do you see that? at that that slower pace as a positive or a negative because what i'm thinking is like does that mean that your pictures are more intentional and more thought out or is it just like that the camera is hard to use and slows you down in a way that's like more negative than positive nice pun (laughs) unintentional but i'll take it i still need to answer your other question which is do i feel like i'm getting better and i think that I'm starting to get a gauge for where I need to expose and having to pull out my phone lightometer thing, whatever you call it, light meter less and trusting what the camera is going to tell me mm-hmm. and that the camera's not necessarily telling me what's really correct, but I know that I should overexpose if I'm going to err on one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That way I can get more picture onto the film yeah. and then I can tweak it in post. So mm-hmm. I didn't, I was able to shoot faster this time than whenever we went out last time. And for your other question, I did. I brought a m- bigger kit with me this time because we were. It was more like there was more things to take photos of for where we went. Yeah, and so I brought, I think like three or four lenses, uh, and we'll and get came, into, <laughs> just we'll, and we'll came, get, came back with more. <laughs> we'll get into that, Daniel. <laughs> we're not even. We're, this, isn't even this isn't even the show. And so the things that there was things that I wanted to take picture of that I needed those other lenses. Because for the Canon, for the AE-1, I only have two lenses. Yeah. And I only brought my 50 millimeter. And so it's like, that's really just for the street stuff, for this other stuff. And so there was more of like making the decision of what am I going to carry around? And I did frequently carry both cameras with me. But it's it's like having to make the decision, what am I going to shoot on? And I think that if I only had the film camera, I could easily burn through all of the rolls. That makes sense. But it's, it comes down to like lens selection and what am I shooting? And the most of the shots that I got were things that I needed uh, like longer lenses yeah. for. So you didn't you didn't necessarily feel held back by the camera. It was more just that you didn't have the lenses that you needed. And indecision, just yeah. knowing 
that I can definitely get the sh the shots that matter and the ones that I wanted to get, I'm absolutely going to shoot those on my XH2S because that's the gear that I know. Mm -hmm. And the things that maybe matter less as I'm playing around with photography, I could shoot on the on the film camera. Sure. That makes sense. So really frustrated that I, I just couldn't even get through one roll. <laughs> I kind of feel like you're conserving it too much. And uh, the only downside to doing that is that you're – your feedback loop ends up being really long. Like yep. it seems like you may go, you know, like you're going to have all the stuff from this trip and then however many other things you've shot and you don't know whether those pictures are coming out the way you want mm -hmm. until you get that developed. And so if you're trying to learn things about how to use that camera, like it's taking you a long time to learn that stuff because you're not getting the feedback of actually seeing the pictures. Right. And it's, it's trying to find that balance of how much can you shoot and where are you taking those pictures? The way that, I think about the roles of film in my mind are for subject or location. And it's like, am I go I'm going here and I'm going to take pictures of people. So I, I want to use this Porta 400 or I'm going to do some night photography or inside photography with of neon lights or something. Mm -hmm. Then I want to use this 800 T and you can't really switch. Yeah. And so it's almost like you have to pick the film for what you're going to shoot. And then you really need to exhaust the entire role while you're mm -hmm. there for that one thing. And so like this role was this enclosed event location and now the next role is the next enclosed yeah. event location but it's really hard to line up 36 shots into those those windows for yeah. me yeah yeah i can see how that'd be a problem because i feel like i'm either running out too quickly or i'm trying to i'm just making up things to shoot yeah i mean this this can't be a new problem no so i imagine people just would use film that wasn't necessarily perfectly suited for the situation yeah or maybe they were shooting more pictures, and so they they knew, here's yeah. the situation, I'm going to bring multiple roles. Sure. And if they didn't finish one, they'd be like, oh, whatever, we'll finish well, it somewhere and, else later. And in all fairness, you know, we it's like a reverse bell curve of the cost right. of development. So there was a time whenever developing pictures was so cheap that that probably was fine. Yeah, yeah. Or you could just say, ah, whatever, to the rest of the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas now, it's like it feels like a enough of a cost that you want to make sure you actually maximize it. Yep. So. Don't want to waste it. Yeah. Have, have, and cons. We have to do another 12 dog portraits to get this role done. <laughs> well, if there's one thing you love, it's a good dog <laughs> portrait. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's let's get into it. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. I was secretly hoping you would hit the wrong button again. <laughs> I think I fixed that. <laughs> Woo! Nope. <laughs> wrong one. <laughs> All right. I threw this on here uh, because some of the GFX reviews have started coming out. And I, I kind of wanted to maybe talk about GFX a little bit next week. Okay. But I saw something that was kind of interesting, a little controversial. I Yeah, I've seen some clickbaity type headlines that are, you know, like, Fujifilm lied about the GFX 100 Mark II. And so I was kind of curious what that was. And so... So I don't know if these are that, but I bet that they are. Okay. So as you know, the GFX 100 can shoot 16-bit RAW. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a big feature. That they big announced. deal. And it was also advertised that if you go into these burst modes with the faster readout speeds, that you can get, it goes down to 14-bit RAW, which is pretty standard. Nikon, Canon, sure. they all shoot 14-bit. Canon for a long time was only 12-bit. Anyways, mm -hmm. so 14-bit RAW. But where it gets controversial is that if, if you go to the maximum shutter, not shutter speed, 
shooting speed of eight frames per second, mm-hmm. it will reduce the readout speed. So it's usually like 130 millisecond readout on you know like five frames per second or lower. You go up to eight frames per second, it's like 70 milliseconds or something like that. When you push to that faster shooting speed, it doesn't collect enough data off the sensor for a 14-bit file. Oh, it collects interesting. roughly the amount of data of a 12-bit file. Okay. Uh, but they tag the files as 14-bit, and they're the size of 14-bit. And so what happens is you you shoot all these pictures, you bring them into Lightroom, and it's like, these are 14-bit files, but they have the dynamic range and fidelity of 12-bit files. Interesting. That sounds not- like a bug. Honestly, like, I think it, it it does sound like a bug, but like they're having to do that because they're reading it so fast. Yeah. Well, but I mean, what I mean is the the fact that they're reporting as fourteen bit files. Oh, sounds like you think like that they bug. should report as twelve bit files? Yeah. Fuji's not saying anything about it. Like they haven't get put out a press release of like, oh, this is a bug. We're gonna update in firmware, or yeah, it's an intended feature. But essentially, like you're losing dynamic range and stuff. And honestly, the the eight frame per second burst files that you get are still super good mm-hmm. and definitely workable. But if you think you're getting a 14-bit file and that has all this shadow fidelity and detail in it, you're just not. And I think that's what people feel lied yeah. to is because uh, Fuji is saying you can get 14-bit readout up to 8 frames per second, and the files say that, but the files are not mm. what they say they are. I mean, we all understand that when you push the limits of what a camera can do, like frame rate or mm-hmm. you know whatever else, we all understand that sometimes you take like a, a hit on quality when you're pushing that right. limit. And I think that's fine, but they definitely need to be clear about what, what it's doing so that you can make the choice of what you want. Mm-hmm. And I mean, basically people right now don't know that if they're using that maximum burst, burst rate, they're losing quality. And so like, just tell people what's going on and then they can decide, do I want maximum quality or maximum burst rate? Yeah. Like, it's fine that it can't do both, but just say that people can pick between like five and eight frames per second and is because they'll know what they're getting they'll know how to work with the files it's not like they're having to compete on the ragged edge here there's not there's not a hasselblad camera out there that's shooting eight frames per second at 14 (laughs) you're lucky if you can get one Mm -hmm. that's why i'm kind of wondering if it's a bug just because it it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that they would need to lie about you know or feel feel like they needed to lie about so but it's strange that they haven't come out and said anything yeah, it is kind of strange. So we'll we'll see what comes of it, but that's like one of the things that's coming out of the the reviews that are finally hitting as people get production copies of this camera in hand. Okay, well maybe that's a point against it when we start talking about our uh, cameras of the year. Oh but man, so well, it sounds sounds like not a big deal, but yeah, cool. but we'll we'll probably get into a little more on the GFX next week or something. I kind of want to okay. dive back into it a little bit because I do think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean there's but, there's more information on it now. So yeah, exactly. We can come back to that. Yeah. Anyway, cool. that's not what we're talking about here, Daniel. Yeah, we need to we need to talk about you with your lenses. Okay, so uh, I know that I know that just within arm's reach here, you have a clock. Uh, that's the last time Lucas bought a lens <laughs> uh, as an emergency purchase. Yeah, and it has not been very long. <laughs> I just need you to go ahead and reset that for me. <laughs> <laughs> as as alluded to earlier, I may or may not have been at the midpoint of a trip, and may or may not have gone to a camera store <laughs> you just you really just found yourself at a camera store oh uh, yeah it just you know it, it just, just happens so, to you. so happened to i was you know wanting to get an extra roll of film i just recently shot a bunch of prairie dogs with my camera and i was like man sure wish i had a longer lens but you know i'm not gonna like buy a lens today that'd be ridiculous that'd be totally ridiculous <laughs> i mean sure i've been thinking about like what if i had a 100 to 400 for 
or uh, the set, what is it? There's a 70 to 300 XF lens. There's a 100 to 400. Mm-hmm. And then there's a 100 to 550. I think, 100 to 500. I no. think that's, I think it's a 100 to 500. It's a 100 to 600. Yeah. Crap. I'm not going to look it up. Yeah. We, there, there are, there are multiple options. Right. Multiple options. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, I've, I've kind of been toying around with the idea of buying one of those for, you know, the upcoming eclipse. Some people be close to the path of totality and, you know, I'm like, oh, this is kind of be cool to have, but mm-hmm. I'm not like, don't need to like buy one today. But, you know, maybe, maybe we'll look while we're there. And so went to the camera store to like look at stuff and buy a film. And I found someone, somebody, some poor guy or gal, I guess, sold their entire kit. They sold their entire Fuji kit to buy into Sony. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. You know, old, same old story. Yeah. I mean, people make that mistake all the time. Mm-hmm. And this was a local camera shop that they, they don't have an online store yet. It's like Armadillo Camera mm-hmm. in, in Lubbock. I'm planning on asking you for a mini review of the camera store. Do you want to do that now? Or? Yeah, dude. Let's talk about it. Okay. Awesome. Great. Like, I, I I mean, I wasn't as into cameras back then, but I, I had no idea there was a camera store there. Yeah, it's like right down the street from Holly Ops. Oh, wow. That's yeah. that's some good proximity. I mean, I, do, I had to go get a milkshake afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> Actually, it was in between. I went and I looked at the stuff and I was like, let's go get a milkshake to think about this. <laughs> that's a good way to make decisions. I, I, like, I like that. Yeah, I'm definitely into my lens right now. Yeah. Uh, but they had, they had a wall of backpacks and all the stuff that you normally would want. They had some peak design stuff that... Uh, the camera store here doesn't necessarily have really? like packing cubes and that oh. sort of thing. And uh, well, like they had all your standard, you know, ProMaster and, you know, Nomadic, Peak Design, stuff like that, yeah. camera bags. They had a decent lens selection and they had like C stands and like, wow. modifiers and lights. Cool. And they did, they ship out for development. They don't do development there, but you can bring them their film. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, they had a complete set of features. Wow. It wasn't like a tiny little store and they buy and sell used gear. So uh, I, that was one thing I wanted to ask about. How many used Nikon lenses did they have? <laughs> Not that many. Oh, man. Surprisingly few. Surprisingly few. Interesting. And, I mean, you were there, I think it was a weekday. Is that right? You were there on a weekday? Yeah, it was, it was, like, it was a weekday. Were there people in there? It seemed like... Eh, just a few. It seemed pretty pretty slow. Okay. But it was it was a weekday, right? I, I I'd rather walk in the store and have it not be super crowded, honestly. Yeah. So that's that's one problem with the camera store here. Sometimes, yeah, if you're going on a weekend, it's like a zoo in there. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So I have a round, rounds of stores that I'll I'll buy from. Obviously, like B and H, the store here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll you know K H MPB. Like I'll look at different camera stores. Yeah. Uh, Armadillo doesn't have a a web a online store up yet, but they're like coming soon. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep uh, an eye on that. Yeah. Based yeah. upon my my purchase experience. This time around, sure. If they open up an online store, I'd, I'd consider buying from them. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna keep an eye on that. Cool. Mostly because, like, I got a pretty good deal, Daniel. <laughs> so tell me what you got. Okay, so I was looking at their lenses. This person brought in their whole Fuji kit, and like, they brought in the whole thing. There was an XT5, and there was like a, a standard zoom, a number of primes, a seventy to uh, fifty to one forty, and a one hundred to four hundred, and a two X teleconverter. Oh wow! They had the whole. They had the whole thing. And high roller. And so I'm like, oh shoot, they have the 50 to 140 and the 100 to 400. Mm-hmm. These are both lenses that I have long desired, yeah. especially the the 50 to 140. Well, that's cool though, because then you get the the chance to see them both side by side. Yep, yep, yep. And I was like, you know, whatever. But the 50 to 140 was priced at 899. That's a good price. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
900 bucks for a used 50 to 140 is a crazy good mm-hmm. deal. I think that's cheaper than I paid for mine. So right now, new with the teleconverter. Tele, teleconvert, teleconverter, teleconverter. Anyways, on B&H for their Black Friday sale, there is you can buy that lens new with the teleconverter for like $1,800. Oh my gosh, double the price. Yeah. So like, and like the teleconverter is the two X's, whatever, like three or 50. And, okay. But the, and the lens is what, 15. 15, 16 or something like that? Yeah. That's new. Mm-hmm. Use, use the 5140 runs like what, $1,100, yeah. $1,200, something like that? I got that. mine for like 930 but that was with an extra KEH discount for trading mm-hmm. in gear, and it was like an unusually good deal. So yeah. your deal was better so than I was, that. So like 900 and this thing was in basically new condition. It was almost perfect, and they had the box with like the lens pouch and the hood, like the whole, the whole kit Man. in the box with all the material, basically brand new. For nine hundred dollars. Wow! I was like, "What? What yeah. is happening right now?" I, now I know why you want to keep an eye on the yeah. camera store. It was like the like the the heavens opened, and there was like <laughs> lights that were shining down on this used case, and yep. it, was, it was like it was time. <laughs> and then they had the one hundred for four hundred, one hundred to four hundred for like nine hundred dollars. Yeah, nine hundred. 950 which is not as good of a, I think that lens isn't quite as expensive new as the 50 to 140 right but that's still a pretty good deal yeah so they, they were both incredibly good deals and I was like shoot what am I gonna do here because I really want the 100 to 400 because I've never really owned a long tele tele zoom of that kind where you can you can shoot like these really long shots and get like the thing that's in the background to appear like larger than it than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Where you can get those interesting like sun alignment or moon alignment photos, or like you take a picture of uh, of like an architecture or something, and it almost looks like it's it's like bigger than it has to be, and you can do these, like interesting stack effects. Right. And uh, I don't I don't I've never ever really done a lot of long telephoto photography, and I've been wanting to try it, and so I'm like. 100 to 400 maybe i don't want to go all the way to the 150 to 600 which is i finally remember what that focal length was <laughs> uh and because that one's too expensive yeah and but then there's like the 70 to 300 which is cheap and i'm like maybe i just buy one of those if i want to play around yeah with this. it's just that the aperture isn't as good on that right, right? which like yeah. fine for yeah. what i want to use it for i didn't really care too much the problem is like for what for what we shoot like the things that you and i actually get paid to do <laughs> besides this podcast just kidding uh, is like the 50, the 50 to 140 would be bread and butter, right. right? That's like event stuff. It's really good B-roll. It's portrait things. That is, that is the lens. And I'm like, if I buy that one, that one's going to make me money. <laughs> if I buy this 100 to 400, maybe not so much. Yeah. Uh, that's a, I mean, that's a very valid way to make a decision. Yeah. And so it's like, it's tough. Cause I'm like, I want the reach, but this is probably, this is a way better deal. Like, what do I do? And so I was like lamenting over the whole thing. I was like, I probably shouldn't even buy a lens right now because this is, this is ridiculous. Why am I emergency buying a lens today? And now as you're going through this thought process, have you left the camera store and are you currently drinking a milkshake? Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely what's happening. <laughs> and uh, so we, we go back over there and I was, we were talking about it. I'm like, okh like, I guess, you know, maybe the 5140 is better, but, you know, it's, it's not like they have a, a cheap 2X teleconverter. That I could buy that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out <laughs> they had the 2x teleconverter for like $250. <laughs> that's so cheap. I'm like, oh my gosh. And that's a that is a Fuji brand 2x <laughs> teleconverter, and I think it's only compatible with a couple of their lenses. Yeah, so it's compatible with all their telephoto zooms and the macro, which I own. Yeah. So <laughs> which you happen to own because so you own all the lenses. I 
it's just so many Daniels. <laughs> it's getting out of control. And so it, it works with the 50 to 140, the 100 to 400, the 150 to 600, and I think the 70 to 300 and the 80 millimeter macro. But two X toe converter, man. Yeah. So like, that that makes your 50 to 140 a 100 to 280. Right. And that's and this is an APS-C lens, so like in terms of full frame equivalent, it's longer than that. Right. Yeah. It's basically. 500 less less than the 500 and 2.8 with the tele it's 5.6 it's basically like an f8 kind of mm-hmm. full frame equivalent but even still the 100 to 400 goes out to 5.6 on the long end yeah and so 5.6 i'm not really too worried about like you still get incredible like depth of field and stuff with it and so i was like i have this is what i have to do i have to get like it's basically the same price to get the 50 to 140 with the teleconverter versus this 100 to 400, maybe slightly more expensive. It's a crazy, crazy good deal. I could buy this lens, take it on my vacation, and then sell it for a profit when I get back. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. And so yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I just I have to do this. And so I did. I bought it. You I did. emergency bought another lens. <laughs> and one, then you immediately got to use it, which like probably is not normally the case. Like, yeah. you know, you're not normally immediately on a trip where you can use it. So what do you think of it? Holy cow. <laughs> Daniel, this lens is super stinking good. And whenever you put the teleconverter on there, oh my gosh. I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, I have the same lens. I also have the 50 to 140 and I love it for event stuff. Like I can punch in more, but I've I've eyed that teleconverter here and there. Just, you know, like maybe that maybe that, that extra push would be worth it. So it, I'm curious about that. For the things that we do where it is well lit, that the 2X is like I absolutely vouch for it. Even the 1.4 might be nice. Mm-hmm. That extra reach that you get and the the depth of field and compression is just even more so. It doesn't even matter that you're shooting a 5.6. It is like the most like creamy fall off depth of field magic that you've ever seen. And man, it's, it's just so it's just so good. And I, at 280 millimeters, turns out that's about all I needed because the stuff that I shot at 280, I was like, this is really, really punched in. Yeah. And so really happy i got some cool like sunset stuff i got some bird shots that i haven't shown you and i mean it's really good really happy with it and i took i took a few like portrait type shots and i didn't realize that at like certain focal lengths you get almost like a swirl Mm -hmm. of the bokeh depending upon like where how you're shooting that 50 to 140 very very good looking (laughs) Uh, man oh oh. this for some for some of the stuff that i shot at like 90 millimeters 2.8 2.8 has about, just about as much blur as my 56 at 1.4. That's interesting. Yeah. And so yeah. like depending upon what you're shooting and at that full, and that's, I mean, that's obvious, right? The longer the lens, sure, the more yeah. like compression and bokeh you're going to get. The out of focus areas are going to be bigger by comparison. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not surprising, but I was, I haven't done a lot. Like I've borrowed your 5140 many times, but I was I was really, really pleased with the results I was getting out of that. I'm lens. glad to hear that. You know, a lot of those other tele or other telephoto zooms you can get, like the 100 to 400 or the 150 to 600. You know, typically you get a uh, a worse aperture. You know, right. like 5.6 or whatever. And you know, I I think that we end up chasing wide aperture too much because a lot of sure. times, like having stuff out of focus isn't really what you want, but. We, for, for the paid work, we shoot so much in the dark mm-hmm. that I have a really hard time buying a lens that's, you know, like not like, let's say 2.8 or better, just because sure. I know that like trying to shoot F4 in the dark is just going to be 
like a, a noisy mess. You know, it's because you need to shoot full frame, Daniel. Apparently, obviously, yeah. And so I, I like that's why I like the fifty one forties because it's f two point eight. But it seems like a good combination with the teleconverter, where if you really do want that extra reach, you can give up some of the aperture uh, and still get like something that's really pretty comparable in spec to the like the 400 end of that 100 400 yeah i mean i was i was going back and forth before i bought it but after having used it it is exactly what i needed is i have now have the 2.8 tele zoom for the stuff that i need it for mm-hmm. but i can put the 2x teleconverter on there yeah and now i have basically a wildlife lens like at least for what i'm going to shoot it with and it seems like it's decent enough reach for any of the things i expect to use it for and i got kind of got the best of both worlds and boy am i happy with it yeah i mean it sounds like a win you got yep. a lens you like. You paid a really good price for it. And, just yeah. and just and here we are. You making fun of me because uh, <laughs> I emergency bought another lens. Yeah. You have so many Fuji lenses now. All right, Do you so, realize how many Fuji lenses you have? It's, 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 it's like a lot. It's six. It's a lot. I only own like six lenses, Daniel, which prompted me to think that maybe I should force rank my Fuji lenses. <laughs> I don't know if you can. Do you think you can? I've already done it, Daniel. I have, oh, oh. I have opened up my secret okay. podcast notes. Okay, which are. Top secret. And I have force ranked every Fuji lens I've ever owned. Tell me what what is your primary criteria? Is like is it is it like image quality or usefulness? It's uh how much I personally love the lens, like okay. just deep down in my heart. And then also that combined with how much use I get out of it. And you mm. know, like it's not necessarily the one that I use the most. Because that would be the seventeen to seventy, <laughs> which is spoiler alert, really low. Well, yeah, list. I bet so. <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I, I just want to guess your top one. All I right. want to guess your top one and your bottom one. Okay, How about that. Go for it. No, no. This is every lens I've owned. So there are lenses on here that I have owned that you may have forgotten about. Now we're only talking about Fuji lenses, but they're though, only right? XF mount okay. lenses. So okay. there's there's ten on this list. Oh man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right. I've owned ten Fuji okay. lenses. Well, I'm gonna guess that the top one is still the sixteen. You're wrong. I'm wrong. And then I, I, I'm i going to go ahead and guess the bottom one, too. I would have said the 17 to 70, <laughs> but you did say that you factored in how much you use it, and we both know that's an, an annoyingly useful lens. I'm going to guess that the one that you, you that you ranked lowest was the 35. No, no. That's, I uh, missed That's actually in the middle. Okay, so you're going to have to go through All this. Right, okay, so my top Fuji lens that I've owned which I haven't owned all of them yet. Apparently, I'm going to get there. Yeah. Is that the 23 1.4 original? Interesting. Okay, so you like that better than the it's, 16. I like the 16 more because it's dearer to my heart. But the 23 has been more useful because it's a little more punched in mm-hmm. and it's a little more of an everything lens. Okay. And it gives me basically the same level of <laughs> character <laughs> as the <laughs> as the 16 and I've just been super super happy with it. Cool. So that's my number one. Okay. Number two is the 16 millimeter. Obviously. <laughs> you really like those wide angles. I mean, I just love that lens. That lens is, it's a one to four reproduction. So you can do a little bit of weird macro stuff and it looks so good. And I just absolutely love that lens. Yeah. I bought it twice. <laughs> I would buy it a third time and then I lose it again. <laughs> number three, 50 to 140. It's that good. Man, Daniel. That, that jumped up in the list from Man, not am- owning it to being third massively impressed with that lens it is so good <laughs> it's I, funny to me that you're that you're so happy with it because like you said you've used mine several times yeah. like i wonder what was different for you about I've owning always, it and using it yourself i've always kind of wanted it but i've never been able to justify paying 
the price of it. I just, yeah, you know, that's uh, fair. But $900, Daniel, <laughs> such a good deal. And so I'm like, do I like that lens more than the 5612, which I've purchased three times <laughs> before I got a usable copy? And for me, the 56, I've gotten two, like, I've, you shoot it wide open because that's why you buy a 1.2 lens. And we've done a number of video projects where I, we shot the second angle on the 56. Yeah, it looks and great. It looks, it looks so stinking good. But And then I'll shoot the B-roll at like 1.4, 1.8. And for some B-roll shots where I have a bright subject in the background or there's enough, there's enough you know, shallow depth of field, you can you can see that chromatic aberration like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, here's some magenta fringing in the in the foreground. Here's some green fringing in the background. And like, if you're not really looking for it, you, you don't see it. But to me, it's just crazy obvious. Yeah. Whenever you're looking at a white shelf and it's like, here's a green line that runs right through. I still love that lens. But the the original copy, which is the one that I have, that's like not weather sealed. It's not like, because I've came out with like three versions since then. It's just not. It's not that good, Daniel. I think that the like think that this like the Sigma one is probably a better lens and it's cheaper. So is is the fifty six one two your number four? I guess that the, is my number four. Yeah. Okay. So I'm ranking the fifty to one forty at three. Mm-hmm. The fifty six one two. So at ev- four. even though it has those issues, you still really like the lens, but just not quite as much as the fifty to one forty. Just a big prime guy, Daniel. Yeah, you're like a prime, prime guy. <laughs> okay, number five is the eighteen fifty five two point eight f four. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. A little surprised at that. I don't own that lens anymore. That's the one that I sold and bought the seventeen to seventy as my general purpose zoom because I wanted a two point eight. The range seemed great, and I miss the size of that lens Mm. all the time. And the aperture ring. And they had an aperture ring. It was small. It was light. It was a great like walking around lens, and I didn't like that it was a variable aperture. That was kind of like the biggest problem for me and if i ever wanted to go back to something that small i would probably still buy the the sigma yeah the 16 18 to 50 18 to 50 yeah. instead of this lens that one i think is a constant 2.8 yeah. but if you're like buying a fuji camera outright and it comes with the 18 to 55 kit lens that lens is a really really good kit i think lens. it has stabilization too right? yeah and it's ois and that was a, that was just a great lens yeah. and it was like it was like my go-to for the longest time mm-hmm. and so I, i'm putting that at number five okay Number six is the 35 F2, which I owned for a while, which was very small and really, really sharp. At F2, that thing was crazy sharp, super fast to focus. I was, re- I was really happy with that do little guy. Do you regret selling it? I do regret selling it, mostly because I sold it to buy uh, that 56. One and of then, the failed 56s. Yeah, and then that 56 didn't work out, so I tried to get a different one, and that one didn't work out, and then the third copy didn't work out, and then I emergency bought the 30 millimeter Sigma, which just, I never, I never really liked that lens. Yeah. And that's why it's my number seven. Yeah. I mean, I have that lens and we've used it recently as our A shot for uh, for some of this interview yeah, stuff. Basically, I have forced you to shoot yeah. on a prime for the, for the A yeah, shot. which I mean, clearly makes sense. <laughs> but I don't know. I, 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 I'm just not super excited about that lens. It's, I don't it's know why. It's a great lens optically. It is not exciting. Yeah. I mean, I paid 250 for mine. And so at that cheap. price, it was like, it, it's basically, why not? But, yeah, Exactly. So that's another lens that I basically emergency purchased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was my number seven. Number eight is the 80 millimeter macro. Okay, that's pretty low on the list, but I, I don't see you use that lens very often. I like it, but I never use it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I bought it basically as a replacement for my 85 millimeter 1.8 Viltrox. And I think I underestimated how different those were going to look. I thought 
I heard that if you use the 80 millimeter macro for like portrait stuff, is you get a really like uh, swirly look to the bokeh, and I thought yeah. I might get some really interesting shots with it. And I have found that I'm just not ever grabbing it because whenever we do event stuff, the 17 to 70 is 10 millimeters shorter and it's 2.8 also. And I'm like, why am I going to swap out a 17 to 70 2.8 zoom for a 2.8 prime at 80 millimeters? And so I just never use it. Yeah. Whereas I would swap out to the 85 because it is a little longer and it's 1.8. Yeah. And I could get really, really cool stuff with that Viltrox 1.8. Now that was a EF lens that you adapted. No, well, I've owned both. I oh, owned well, the right. Tamron okay. 85 EF 1.8, which was an amazing lens. And that was optically stabilized. That's right. And I sold that and I bought the Viltrox 85 millimeter 1.8 because oh, okay. it was super cheap. I remember now. But that one wasn't stabilized. Mm-hmm. So both of those are really good. I actually like the Tamron more. That Tamron EF stabilized 1.8 is a fantastic lens. So I'm putting the 80 millimeter at, at eight, but okay. now that I have the teleconverter, I can shoot that thing at 160. Oh man, and that and it doubles the reproduction ratio. Now it's a two to one macro. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize it did that. You can That's get cool. so freaking close with that thing. That's now. pretty cool. It's. I tried to shoot some dog noses with it, <laughs> and oh boy, I there's not enough light in the world. Yep. I would need to be standing on the sun <laughs> just so that I could get enough depth of field when shooting f22 or something stupid. Anyway, that's number eight. Number nine, 17 to 70. <laughs> not surprised. I, Although like, I mean, clearly in this, in this example, you're not, uh, you're not ranking usefulness very high because I mean, at least for event stuff, I, I find myself using that 17 to 70 so much just because it's, it's a, it's such a wide range and it's pretty fast aperture. It's stabilized. I mean, I hate, I hate how much I use it, but I use it quite a bit. I don't use it as much as you do. Yeah. Like I think back to, so we did a we did like a recap event this summer. That's like, man, that was a while back. Yeah. Most of the stuff we've done has been narrative form. Yeah. And so I haven't done too much event stuff, I guess, since the summer. But even then, I shot a lot of it with the seventy to two hundred EF lens that I own, mm-hmm. and I shot a lot with the primes that I have because I wanted to get some like load up the field type shots. Sure. I didn't do a ton with the seventy to seventy. Maybe Interesting. Less than half, huh. which you would think that it would have been maybe almost everything. Yeah. So I don't um, know. It's the reason it's so low is because I have zero love in my heart for that lens. <laughs> Same here. I just, it is. It's too big. I mean, that's my biggest problem with it. It's it, too big. It's too big. If it was an inch shorter, I would, it would probably never leave my camera. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and and what's frustrating to me is I want to use something like the Fuji 16 to 55. And, you know, maybe the, the, the Sigma 18 to 50 is probably more interesting. But, um, like, the Fuji lens has an aperture ring, which yeah. would be really cool. But. It's, it's not stabilized and, and it's significantly shorter. You know, 50 versus 70 is a yep. pretty big difference. And it's more expensive. Yeah. My hope would be that they come out with a new version of that lens next year. That's I doubt what I'm it, hoping to. But I hope that they do. Yeah. It, the 17 to 70, 70 is painfully useful. And, yeah. that, and so it's like, is the most useful lens that I own. I just don't, I don't love it. I don't blame you. I feel like I could justify owning the 18 to 50 Sigma and the 17 to 70. I think you're probably right. Cause like, if nothing else, one would be a travel lens, and then right. you'd have the seventeen to seventy. If you knew you were going to need that extra, like fifty to seventy millimeter, range. exactly. And we both know that six lenses isn't enough. <laughs> do we? Do we know that? Okay. And the number number ten here is the ten to twenty four, f four. And that's a lens that you own for a very short time. Yeah, I bought it. I used it for a weekend, 
and I returned it and bought the 16-1-4. And then I just completely forgot about it because that lens is, it's not very sharp. It's really slow. It has stabilization, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just okay. And I, I did not like that lens at all. Yeah. I mean, when think, when, when you're trying to shoot that wide, I would just rather have a prime. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Like that 13 millimeter Viltrox. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, you know, there's, I know that you can get as low as 13 and even like the 16. I know that, I know 10 and 16 are very different. Well, no, they have the eight millimeter 3.5 now. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I, I remember you not being impressed with that lens. So nope. it's not surprising to me that that's at the end. I should have remembered that. I kind of forgot that you owned it. Yep. Yep. So that's it, Daniel. Fujicast. I've ranked all my lenses. <laughs> Do you think out of those 10, like, I'm not, I'm not actually going to ask you to pick like three, but like, do you think that you could reasonably cut down to like a small percentage of those lenses and hit most of your uses? I would. Yes, I could. So now that I have the 5140 and I have witnessed its magnificence, I could, if God forbid I ever have to sell the 56 1.2 and just remove it from the kit Yeah, and then rely on the 50 to 140. It is, it is that good. Yeah, interesting. And then, oh man, the 16 and the 23, I feel like I don't necessarily need both of those. They're pretty close in uh, focal length. Mm-hmm. It would be, I would be like, like trying to sell my favorite children. I don't know <laughs> if I could get rid of either of those lenses. <laughs> uh, and then I feel like I, you have to have a standard zoom. And so the 17 to 70, unfortunately, is forever with me until there's a better option. Yeah. So I would say I could probably I could probably pare down easily to those four, mm-hmm. and then if I had to, I would probably drop off the <sighs> probably drop off the sixteen. <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, it'd be so yeah, it would be funny. so hard. It'd this, be so hard. The, this is interesting for me to hear because I mean I have the fifty to one forty, the seventeen to seventy, and then that Sigma thirty. Yeah, and I mean it's not that I don't want more lenses because you know lenses are fun and they do all give you different capabilities mm-hmm. and stuff, but. I've had a hard time justifying it because I don't feel like I need anything else. Like I feel like the stuff I have pretty much is meeting all of my needs. Yeah. Like you're, you're basically getting around to the full frame equivalent of here's a 24 to 24 to 70. Here's a 7,200 at 2.8. So mm-hmm. here's your, here's your fast zooms. And then here is a 50 millimeter prime. That's even faster. Yeah. And that 50 millimeter equivalent focal range, which is like 35 in APS-C world is great for like if you want to shoot some a roll for an interview or something which is a lot of what we do yeah and like it's going to look good and it's going to be sharp and you can get that load up the field effect that you if you need it and like that's kind of all you need yeah and like once you start expanding out it's like well now i need a telephoto prime and a, and a wide angle prime so that's your 24 and your 85 and then like that's basically a full kit of of six lenses and then maybe you add a telephoto zoom and so it's but if we're talking like base kit in my opinion for any like anyone who's getting into photography it's like you either get the trinity of zooms or get the the mid and the telephoto and buy a prime yeah i would think for most people you don't need three zooms i think having a prime with a wide aperture is probably like a more unique capability for most mm-hmm. people yeah for sure I think it's I think it's more interesting and it's usually they're smaller if you need like a walking around lens. Sure, sure. Well, I'm glad you're here to try all the Fuji lenses for us and yeah, tell no, us what no, you think no of them. No kidding. Jeez. It's a You've really uh you've really taken a wide oh, gotten a wide variety of them. Uh just I mean, that's good though. It gives you a lot of uh experience to draw from in terms of like what lenses are good and which ones aren't. It's gotten to the point where I'm like I don't even know what other lenses I would buy. <laughs> except that's uh, totally not you, true. Yeah, you, because you have a list. 
I could get the 35, if I got the 35 millimeter, like original Fuji lens, then I would have all the original clutch lenses. I have the 16, the 23 and the 35. That would be super, super sweet. <laughs> and then I really want some nanomorphs. And so yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's still many lenses in yep. my future that I may end up emergency buying. Daniel. I'm sure there are more lenses <laughs> in your future. And to me, the nanomorphs don't necessarily count because like you, you have owned a lot of Fuji lenses. Yeah. And the nanomorphs feel more like just camera lenses, which I mean, surely neither of us have purchased all the camera lenses we will ever purchase. So No. Yeah. And then this, that, ooh, we're not even talking about all the camera lenses that I own. Yeah. Yeah, this is just Fuji. So I'm like a thousand yard stare thinking about it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them. Oh man, we I, I didn't expect this segment to go as long as it did. <laughs> I think it's an interesting discussion. But though. most people probably have not used that many lenses. So. I, I guess that's probably true. Yeah, I, at least like from from mostly one brand, all one lens mount. Like if you know if somebody's listening to this and shoots on Fuji, like that's a pretty good overview of yeah. some of your major options. I uh, I definitely want you to borrow that teleconverter. Because yeah. it will, it'll change your life. Yeah, I'm curious to try it for sure. I'm so, I was shocked at how small it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, I, I in my mind it like makes the lens way longer, and I know it's not that big. Yeah, I mean it's like this big. It's like two inches maybe. Yeah, it's at, not too and, bad. I was thinking like the diameter, but the diameter is as big as the Fuji mount. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's it's anyways. Yeah, it sounds pretty useful. Super handy. Okay, just to keep keep the Fuji keep the Fuji train rolling yeah. here. Keep uh, the you, Fuji train rolling. <laughs> You mentioned to me that the those Suri Sniper Primes, which are autofocus, XF, Z, E, is that it? I thought there were four, but there's at least L, those probably. three. Yeah. Anyway, so there's but like- they're, But they're APS-C. Three or four mount APS-C Prime lenses that mm-hmm. are autofocus capable. Yep. Uh, the Suri is coming out with, they're now on Indiegogo and they're out. There, it's a twenty-three, a thirty-five, and a fifty-six. Yep. Which is, I mean, I know it's a twenty-three, a thirty, and a fifty-six, right? I think that's right. Which is, I mean, that's what everybody's doing, right? It's like Fuji has a has a a twenty-three, a twenty-seven, a thirty-three, and a thirty-five, mm-hmm. but like Sigma's, you know, twenty-three, thirty, yeah. and fifty-six. It's actually twenty-three, thirty-three, and fifty-six. Okay, so they're matching Fuji exactly, twenty-three, yeah. thirty-three, fifty-six. They're faster though. These are all 1.2. Mm-hmm. And so this is faster than anyone else is doing right now for these for these specific focal ranges in an autofocus configuration. If we're talking about, I think Fuji and Sony, I, I can't think of any Sony primes that are APS-C that are that fast. I think you might be right. And then the most stuff is 1.4. Yeah. And then so. they come in three colors or they're white, silver, and, and black. Yeah. And we've already talked about these lenses, but you said, Lucas, would it be interesting to own any of these lenses for the event stuff that we do? Mm-hmm. I assume you were asking because they're so bright. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what it was. Cause I, you know, a lot of times we're in a room, it's very dark. You're trying to get a shot of somebody from a distance. And even the 2.8. On the 5140 can feel pretty like like I find myself shooting 2.8, and I'll be at ISO 6400, and it's not enough. And I'm like, I really need to be at like 8,000, which just doesn't feel good. Like that's pretty right. noisy. And so I wonder, like, is that a situation where switching to full a fi- frame? Yeah, uh, I know, right? Uh, Daniel. 
<laughs> I got to wait until that S1H Mark II comes yeah, out. Let me go ahead and put a uh, low light capture here on the reasons that Daniel needs uh, to switch to Lumix. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, no, it's, it's already. No, it's not. Trust okay, me. Yeah. That's that's on my mind, too. Okay. But but I've wondered if like the <laughs> specifically the 56 1.2 would be a good choice because like this lens is three hundred dollars and 1.2 is a lot faster than 2.8. I love the full frame equivalent of 85 millimeters. It is one of my favorite focal lengths. It's everything is, it's as close to not being too narrow, not being too wide as far as, you know, pin cushioning or, you know, that wide angle effect and your, the way that things stack and look as far as the compression is pretty close to like reality. Right. And it, it just, it looks super good. You get great compression, which I've already said. One of my favorite focal lengths. So 56 is basically 85 millimeter full frame equivalent on APS-C. And for an event lens, if you're going to shoot on a prime, 56 is the way to go. And I've, I've really enjoyed having my 56 despite all my complaints about it mm-hmm. because of that, you know, I, it shoots at 1.2 yeah, and it's an 85 equivalent. So I think that, you know, this autofocus Shuri lens at 1.2 for 56 for what is it's like 300 bucks so the normal price is 350 but because they're on indiegogo right now and this is like they're they're just now releasing they have a deal where you can get it for 300 yeah so i would say that of the three that's a really good option especially if you need the low light i would also not disclude the 23 millimeter because we frequently will use the xt3 on a gimbal at 23 millimeters. Good point. Yeah. And although yeah. like on a gimbal, are we really going to be doing F1.2? No, <laughs> there's, <laughs> unless it's a Sony camera, you cannot trust the autofocus. Well, and you know, any third party lens, I'm just not going to trust the autofocus as much as I would like a native lens. I would say that the Viltrox lenses have proven to be basically as good as native okay. whenever it comes to autofocus especially mm-hmm. for their their red badge ones i'm talking about the 75 1.2 and the 13 1.4 hmm. okay which to me if you were looking for a fast event lens these shuri ones i bet that they're not great at 1.2 yeah i bet they're soft i bet there's some chromatic aberration i i i would think that the sigma 56 1.4 is going to be a significantly better lens optically and it costs what a hundred dollars more and i think you get a hundred dollars more lens interesting for the sigma yeah that one right well so normally it's 480 right right now it's on sale for 430. i saw it on bnh for 405 today interesting that's not what it's showing up as right now interesting but regardless you know on sale in the low 400s yeah so it's, I mean, it's not as, as cheap, but I think that you get a much better lens. And I mean, this is, this is the wonderful thing about having third party options, right? Yep. It's like, you get all these choices. I would, if I was picking an event lens, I would actually pick the Viltrox 75 1.2 over both of those options. Interesting. Because like I said, those Viltrox red badges are really good. And I think that it's going to compete optically with any of these, like any of these better 56 options. And it's longer. Yeah. I found that 85 on APS-C is maybe like, because we've shot, we've shot a good amount of like indoor music, that kind of thing. And 85 is really cool for some stuff, but it's also just a smidge too tight Mm -hmm. for a prime. And 56 is 
I've found to be a smidge too narrow. Mm -hmm. So the 75 is kind of in that sweet spot. Yeah. And it's 1.2 and it's 550. And it has an aperture ring. And it has an aperture ring. Yeah. So if, you're probably right. That probably is the right choice. Yeah. To me, like that that's the answer is these these sniper primes look great for low light, but for an event, it's like an event lens. I like the Viltrox 75 yeah. 1.2. I think you're probably right. I mean, I almost always want more reach rather than less. Like I know mm-hmm. Sometimes that can be a problem. Like sometimes you can be too punched in, but you know, most of the time I don't want to be disrupting whatever's going on. Yeah. And so I want to be able to stand on the outskirts and like shoot in there. And mm-hmm. so I can see how 75, 75 would be better than 56. So. If you bought that lens, I'd be a little jealous. <laughs> I'd drool on a little bit. You'd have to, you have to uh, add a seventh Fuji lens <laughs> to your collection. <laughs> I mean, it's a little different, Daniel. Like I know I have the 80 millimeter. Like if I ever sold that macro, I would buy the 75 1.2. Yeah. Like I would be absolutely what I would trade it for because I feel like I could justify that I, I need, Daniel, I need something in that range. <laughs> Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to buy another lens, it would probably either be this or the Sigma 18 to 50. Yep. Those are the two lenses that I think are interesting right now. The which, when you say this, do you mean the Viltrox 75 1.2 or do you yeah, mean? Yeah, the 75 1.2 mm-hmm. and the Sigma uh, 1850. Yeah, I think those are pretty cool lenses. I like these. I like these Suri sniper things. 1.2 is crazy fast, mm-hmm. and they're like I've said it before. These are essentially. A, I think it's true for E mount because I can't think of an E mount lens that's that's that fast either. Yeah, these are some of the fastest APS-C primes that are autofocus on the market mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I mean, mainly what was interesting to me is that they're just so cheap. Like especially yeah. that deal right now, where the three hundred dollars, like that's that's like nothing. Yeah, yeah. it's it it. it looks a little too much like the those like Maika mm-hmm. or whatever 0.95 manual focus lenses that aren't really good until you get to f2.0 yeah i think you're probably right like i series made good stuff like their their cheap anamorphics are fine mm-hmm. like if you if you get into the minimal focus distance for them they yep. the the squeeze ratio changes and so like there's things you have to know and like they're not optically perfect they, they're not going to be as sharp as you know your first party and they're going to maybe have a little bit of chromatic aberration but if like you need something 1.2 and you have a budget yeah. these are going to be great for people yeah whether it's whether it's sony or for or for fuji honestly mm-hmm. but yeah it's to me and for you i i don't think these are the lenses i yeah. think it's i think it's the the sigma 56 1.4 because it's that much better probably i mean we haven't seen these these series i'm probably just making things up <laughs> and then the Viltrox 75 sure I think that makes sense and then uh, one, one more for you uh, you should also consider the XF200 F2.0 <laughs> I can't remember how expensive is that one it's roughly $5,000 yes I think I'm gonna pass on that <laughs> Daniel that one works with the teleconverter <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that come on yes you do you need 400 millimeter <laughs> F4 come I'm, on I'm not saying I wouldn't use it if I had it but I'm not paying $5,000 for a lens I think is huge <laughs> Yeah, that too. Yeah, you're not you're not blending in with that. <laughs> and it's white. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Daniel, we've been waiting and waiting basically since NAB in May. Yep. For all these new 32-bit transceiver receiver microphone wireless combo deals to come out. Well, and, and, we, and really just one specific one. Okay, yeah, so like we were waiting for the Deity Theos. Mm-hmm. And then but right before it shipped, Rode came out here and said, "Here's the Rode Wireless Pro." And we were like, "Lol, Pro, it doesn't even use low band." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we just really ran it through the mud and called it dumb. 
that's not totally true, but now there's like, there's options, right? And we've essentially come to the point where the Theos is shipping. Yeah. On their website, they say shipping in November. And I think that it has already shipped overseas. I think the US one was a little delayed because of customs, but I think it's either shipping now or like very, very soon. Right. And the Theos was, remind me how much, it's like 600 bucks for one receiver and one transmitter. Is that right? It is a little bit more than that. Cause the, if you buy, they, they sell a kit like where you can get two uh, transmitters and the one receiver for like a little, like $1,100 maybe. But if you wanted to buy just one and one, like a one person kit, it would be, I think it was like the transmitter was 340 and the receiver was 400 or something like that. So like, let's call it 750. And this is this has been highly appealing to us because yeah. of the work that we do, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's thirty two bit float. It's thirty two bit float on onboard recording for the not for the transmitter. Sorry for the transmitter, not the receiver. Yeah, yeah, and then because it's it's so the transmitter can record on board, and then you also get wireless transmission uh, with low band. So it's like mm-hmm. a seven seven or eight hundred megahertz yeah. somewhere in that range, and it. Has time code jamming. Works with all their time code stuff. Right. Yeah. Which fantastic. So like these these look great. Yeah. They look reliable. They look professional. What happened? So what happened was the other day I started looking these up because I'll I'll be honest, like they haven't started shipping yet. And I thought, you know, like it's gonna be pretty popular when they actually start shipping and maybe I should just go ahead and buy one. You Maybe know, you should just, just just go ahead and buy it, and if yeah. it you know if the like, first reviews come out, it's terrible. I'm going to return it, and I was tempted. Yeah, you're like Lucas with a lens. Yep, just like Lucas with a lens, except less money. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I, I started looking at it and looked on B and H, and you know, I was like, well, I, you know, I don't know like who's going to ship first, Deity or B and H. So you know, let me go look and see what Deity site says. So I went on Deity site, and I'm looking at the product listing for this thing, and there's a little note on there that says. For the, for the transmitter, and it says that in the U.S., the U.S. version of the transmitter cannot record and transmit at the same time. Boo. Uh, Boo. <laughs> and to me, that just totally kills the usefulness of this thing because yeah. what I want is something that can transmit to my camera so that I can be monitoring the audio, uh, you know, from from behind the camera right. and getting that audio, you know, just directly on my video track. I mean, all the reasons you want wireless audio, like I want that, but I also want to be able to get this onboard 32 bit float recording so that I've got a backup so that if something happens to that wireless signal, I've still got my audio. Right. So I, I want both of those and I feel like not being able to do both at the same time, like severely compromises the usefulness of this thing. Oh, absolutely. It, it totally, totally ruins it for a lot of what we need to do. Yeah. And I mean, so, there's a couple of things on this. One, there have been a lot of these systems in the past that offer one or the other. So, I mean, even Deity has had a, Deity has one, Zoom has one. All these companies have 32-bit float, like body pack recorders. And they're not wireless, but they just like let you record, you know, in that way. So like that is a product that exists that people have used. There's also wireless systems that don't do onboard recording. And plenty of people have used those. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you can't do your work without having both of these features, but right. you know, if you've got something that can do both, it's so much more useful. And even it's the a, DJI it's a mic, belt and that, suspender situation. Yeah, yeah, it gives you like that extra safety net. And even the DJI mic that we've had some trouble with, like that's one of the reasons we like it is because you get both the onboard recording and the transmission. Right. 
So what? Why? Why the U.S.? Why the U.S.? Why are we we out of luck here? And how do you buy one from Canada? Well, <laughs> well, that's what stood out to me because it didn't say that the system can't do it. It said U.S. models can't do it. And so when I saw that, I thought it's probably not like a technical limitation. You know, it's that, that's kind of weird. And I I guessed what it was, and I was correct about this. So we'll link the tweet uh, where I tweeted at them to ask, and they confirmed that it's a patent issue. Oh, I didn't realize they tweeted at you. Man, you're really popular. I know. Yeah. So that's just so disappointing because I feel like there are reasons patents exist and they protect innovation. And I mean, I guess I'm glad we have patents in the U.S., Mm. but there sure are a lot of times where it just stifles innovation and feels like companies are using it to take advantage of things they shouldn't. And there's clearly a patent out there for a recorder that can record 32-bit float and transmit wirelessly. And some company other than Deity has that patent. And so they're out of luck. What I don't what I don't understand, though, is that the DJI one can do it. No, well, the DJI one can record, but it can't record 32-bit float. Is it? Do you think the patent's related to 32-bit? But the Rode one can. The Rode one can do 32-bit float and record wirelessly at the so same time. So who do you think has that patent? Oh, jeez. I don't know. I So I haven't looked this up. I don't know if Rode has the patent, but they're the only ones I can think of that have a similar system. We're going to have to find the patent and then um, you know loop back to this yeah. in a future episode. Yeah, because I guess this I'm kind of curious. It's just, it's so frustrating. It is. And you know, you made the joke about buying one from Canada. So they, they sell different versions of this system for different regions. And the reason they do that is because different regions have different wireless bands that are approved for use. Okay. And so like in Europe, for example, there's a different set of wireless frequencies that you're allowed to use. And so Europe gets a different model. And because they've made this specific clarification, my guess is those Europe versions can do both at the same time. So some of our listeners listening to this are like, I don't know what the problem is. I'll just go to my local store and buy it. We're in the U.S. We can't do that. And we could potentially find Canada. some, like maybe maybe we have a listener of this show that would send us one from Canada or from Europe or whatever, uh, which we could do. But the problem is like it's technically illegal because the frequencies that those systems use are not frequencies that are approved for use in the U.S. Sure. Like, you would imagine if they could just make one model that worked everywhere, they would do that. So maybe you can hack it in firmware. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe it's maybe find a way to do that. Jeez, uh, so, it's just a little. Open it up, flip a dip switch. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. Ah, oh, jeez, it's yeah. like we've been looking forward to this thing for months, and to find out that that's going to be a limitation for the U.S. was just disheartening. Yeah, I mean it. It makes me not want to buy it because it, it feels like it would compromise the usefulness of it, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, it, it makes me question, like, what what is the most important feature to me? So. Right. I mean, the 32-bit float would be pretty sweet, but I don't think it's worth it for the compromise of losing the backup onto yeah. the camera. Yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, when I think about my wants for this thing, 32-bit float is pretty high on the list because right now we're using the DJI mic and there's some things I really like about it. I like how small it is. Uh, and it's just, you know, super easy to use and generally it's worked well, but we've had some problems with the wireless signal, you know, uh, being reliable. And so that's kind of why we've been looking for a replacement. And one of the things that's kind of stood out to me in all these interviews we've done is it is legitimately kind of hard to set the gain sometimes because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you interview somebody, if you ask them to talk a little bit so you can set your levels, they'll talk at a certain volume. And then as soon as you get into the actual interview, 
they start talking louder. Oh, yeah. People get pumped. They get yeah. excited and they start talking louder. Yeah. And you just, there's not really a good way to be like, talk as loud as you're going to talk. Mm-hmm. No one knows what that means. As, as, and soon if, as, as soon as people start like presenting something, mm-hmm. they often talk louder. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't want to change the gain in the middle of the recording because that's a nightmare for for dealing well, with audio. Yeah. So it's just, it's always like this extra little question I have. And every time I think if this was 32 bit float, I wouldn't have to worry about this because we wouldn't clip. Yeah, exactly. So, so I want that. Um, and so I, you know, it kind of made me start looking at the Rode Wireless Pro again, because even though we kind of dragged it through the mud a little bit in our, in the, the last time we talked about this, which was episode 49 of the show. Um, good callback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, now I'm kind of wondering if that's the correct set of trade-offs because it does have the onboard 32-bit float recording. At the same time, it can transmit. And that transmission, like the problem we had with it is that the transmission is 2.4 gigahertz, which right. we know is a crowded spectrum. It's more likely to be disrupted. But if you've got the onboard recording and if it's more reliable than the DJI was, then maybe that's okay. The thing is, like, we don't know if it's going to be more reliable. I think that the roads in the past have been pretty good. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard much complaint about you know, these kind of issues. Yeah, especially on the 2.4, you basically are line of sight and they don't quite have the range that they advertise just because of the crowded spectrum and that sort yeah. of thing. And I mean, that has been an issue on the DJI for 2.4. Like mm-hmm. there has been times where even in a the same room 10 feet away. Yep. It was still a little too crowded for what we were using it for. And I mean, we use the, we use the DJI for what, like months, like six, seven months before you had that drift problem. Yeah. Well, and and before, and before we started really having issues with the signal breaking up. Right. And it's like, is the, is the road going to hold up better over time? Yeah. Is it going to not have those issues? I, we just don't know. I know that it says road wireless pro in it. But I feel like they mean pro like Apple means pro. And I don't, it doesn't feel to me like these are actually like actual professional gear. Yeah. It's really hard to know. It, it honestly is. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, to me, the deity screams, you know, this is, this is a professional piece of equipment, mm-hmm. but the, that patent thing is, it's a deal breaker. Yeah. And so it's, I feel like if we we're going to replace the DJI, that the Rode Wireless Pro is probably the way to go for now. But, I mean, do you... The main reason would be for the 32-bit float, I guess. Yeah. Because so far we haven't had a repeat issue. We've improved our backup solution, and so we're all recording to a shotgun to a separate recorder mm-hmm. in case that ever happens again. And But... I think points that the Rode has in favor of it over the DJI is, I mean, for one thing, we have had a problem with the DJI. We don't know on the road. So, like, if you want to think about it that way, like, like we have not proven that it is unreliable, whereas with mm-hmm. the DJI, we kind of have. True. I think there's less, I think the drift problem is pretty well publicized on DJI. It doesn't seem like people are really having that problem on the road. So, like, maybe that's better. Sure. Um, I think time code is a big factor. So, the Rode Wireless Pro seems to support time code, which... Like that's, that's something that I wanted to get into with us shooting these bigger projects and doing multiple cameras and all that. I've thought the time code would be really cool. It seems like it has, uh, that built in between its own onboard recording and the receiver. And they've done a pretty good job of supporting it on other things. They've got guides for a bunch of different cameras. You can actually jam sync it with the deity TC one time code device. Well, so that's cool. 
if we wanted to get into time code, we could get some of those DOD time code things and sync it with the work with the road. So we don't know if they work with the tentacle ones, but they do work with the DD ones. Yeah. Yeah. So at minimum they work with that. Okay. Um, which is pretty neat. So I think those are some advantages. And then, I mean, we've got to consider the price too. So the DD system is 740 for one transmitter and one receiver. Uh, on the other hand, the Rode Wireless Pro is $400. It comes with two transmitters uh, and the receiver. And you get a wireless or a wired lav for both of them. So oh, you wow. Get two wired labs. That's great. That's so, really good. So, I mean, you're talking like half the price, a whole extra transmitter and microphone included. Like, I mean, it is significantly cheaper. Yeah. So if we went, if we went the route of this Rode Wireless Pro, we could get away with... For our current setup, one, I guess it'll be two because we have three cameras usually. We could get two TC1s and then we would have jamming across everything. Yeah, that's what it seems like. You know, I mean, we, so time code's a thing that is kind of frustrating because it seems like it's hard to, I've, I, one of the reasons I wanted to, to get some time code gear to play with it is because I feel like it's really hard for you and me to talk about it and sound like we know what we're talking about and we haven't used it ourselves. Sure. And, Man, is it confusing trying to understand all the different ways time code works and mm-hmm. what different devices support. I still feel like I barely understand what our Fuji X-H2Ss actually support in terms of time code. And it's just like, it's really confusing to try and understand what all is possible without just like having the gear in front of you to play with and try. So it's kind of hard to say like exactly what we would need to make it work, but it seems like there's a path here. Whereas with the DJI mic, there's just, there's not a path to using it. I do wonder if this Rode timecode system works with the Atomos one, because if you, for the GFX 100 mark, sorry, GFX 100, the deuce, excuse me, it has wireless timecode sync mm-hmm. to the Atomos timecode system. And so I would wonder if this could pair into that, if it could, if, if it could do the wireless thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And as, as we, you know, we both are just anxiously waiting for Fuji to push that push that firmware update out that takes all of the waveform features and the time code features and all this stuff that came in the GFX 100, the deuce and bring it down to the XH2S yeah because that's definitely going to happen yeah totally going to happen <laughs> we just we, we we know it in our hearts and all we have to do is be patient <laughs> <sighs> we'll see so I don't know I, I feel like I wish the D80 Theos could record and transmit at the same time failing that I would rather buy something that had the low band, uh, you know, and felt, it looked and felt more professional than what the Rode Wireless Pro seems. But yeah. at the same time, considering the types of projects we do and the fact that, you know, by and large, we've been successful with the DJI mic, I like it kind of leaves me thinking that maybe the Rode Wireless Pro is the right piece of gear for where we're at with our projects. At least until DD can overcome their patent issues. <laughs> And then we can upgrade to that one later. Yeah, maybe so. It's just, it just reminds me of the whole red Nikon internal it's raw situation. It's very similar to that. Yeah. I just, what what are we doing, guys? There's there's only so there's only so many camera companies, and there's only so many people who are buying camera gear. Like, why why are we trying to to stop each other from uh, innovating? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I you know clearly there's money to be made. Like this sure. probably lost deity a sale from us. Yeah. Um. And it's not their fault, and that's really unfortunate. And I'm sure they're really frustrated about it. I'm, I, I'm frustrated about it too. Yeah, it's it's a shame. It's it feels like not the 
intended use of patents. And, you know, this is just in our little world, but I think it's a problem that exists far beyond just cameras of patent trolls and uh, abuses of that system. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is one that unfortunately came and bit us directly. Yeah. So when, so the deity one is, is, is more expensive. So it's not like we could go to Canada and buy one there for, and then come back and say like, oh, well, we spend less money. It would actually be spending more money on the equipment plus the travel costs. <laughs> yeah, probably so. But maybe it's worth it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it depends on how much you want to visit Canada. I mean, I've never, I've never been to Canada. Yeah. Could could be a good time. Could be, we could take we could take pictures. <laughs> it could it could be like a whole thing. <laughs> we do a live podcast from Canada. There you go. Yeah, smuggling. Uh, camera gear across the border mm-hmm. that would really uh that would bring some attention to this show do you would you have to declare it i mean only if you don't like hollow out a stuffed animal and hide it inside so we got to figure out a way to hide it i guess we could put it underneath the foam in one of our cases there you go yeah, yeah they won't look there and like put it in like a lead a lead shield so they can't <laughs> see the circuitry i mean they're not really x-raying things as you go across the border to canada if they did they probably wouldn't tell you yeah, that's probably true. If it's not obvious to anybody, we don't know much about crossing the border between here and Canada. <laughs> I feel like they're just like, have a good day, eh? <laughs> and, then, and then it's fine. That's not the side we have to worry about. It's the other side. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it's like coming back. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling on the U.S. side, they're less polite. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> All right, so let's work on travel plans. We'll figure that out. Yeah, good plan. And maybe we'll find that patent and sure. circle back on that. <laughs> okay. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.